0: Well, we got a busy day today. Thanks for making time to be here at church. We've got a big game tonight. Imagine some of you guys are going to watch the Super Bowl. Uh, maybe some of you are just going to be in bed at a normal time and you weren't even planning on watching any of it. There's a there's a game going on tonight, in case you didn't know, and uh, it's going to be fun. Who's going to win? The Bucks? Any Bucs fans out there today? Think they're going to win? All right. Any Chiefs fans? Anybody rooting for the Chiefs today? Okay, okay. okay guys are, you know, an exciting crowd. I like that. Um, We'll get along just good here. Um, But uh, yeah, there's a game tonight. Our family loves, uh, you know, sports. Um, uh, We like to watch big games. Well, I guess more honestly, my sons and I like watching sports. We like big games. Um, our, my wife, Tara, and the girls, they often like to use big games as a chance to make a Dunkin' Run, um, you know, or a Starbucks run or something like that. That's kind of what they love uh, about big games. But we'll, we'll watch, you know, some of it tonight. Um, I, love about, I love about my kids when they were little. Um, one of the things that was really neat was when they were just really, really small, uh, young, they, they believed that I could do anything. Do you guys ever have that experience if you have kids? It's like when, you're, when you have really young kids, they almost think that a parent, a mom or a dad, like can like do anything. Like they ask like just sometimes almost things that are ridiculous. Like you think I can do that? You know, and then they kind of think that, but the craziest part is that they think other people think that about you as well. Like you, you just are in charge of everything and you do everything, can do everything. One time I was taking my son, Ethan, who's, who's 16 now. He's, he's, he's much taller than I am. But when he was younger, he was four or five, took him to the dentist and uh, he had to get some kind of procedure done. And so they had to put him, uh, they give him anesthesia to, to get done whatever he was getting done. And, and so the, the hygienist who came to our church here, who I knew, uh, she was, gave him this mask and they were giving him some kind of laughing gas to sort of begin to sedate him. And all of a sudden this boy, who never ever talks, is just talking like about everything. He's telling stories, this crazy stuff. And, and the hygienist and I are kind of both laughing. My laugh is a little nervous though, because I have no idea like what he's going to tell her. You know, like, is he going to share like Rauch family secrets that, you know, no one else was supposed to know? We're like, what's he going to, you know, what's he going to tell? And so we're laughing. And he starts to ask her about sports. He, he again, he, he loves sports. And he begins to ask her who she's roots for in football. And she says that she roots for the Colts. Of course, we root for the Eagles. We're from, you know, Philadelphia. And, and uh, Ethan was born there. He's a passionate Eagles fan. And he tries to explain to her why she should be an Eagles fan. And, uh, and she's not biting. She's going to stay with the Colts. And so he says to her, and again, you got to give him some grace here. He's, you know, he, he was under the influence of whatever laughing gas he was under. He says to her, if you don't start rooting for the Eagles, my dad is going to spank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now we're both laughing, but, but now her laugh is very nervous. You know, and she's like wondering, like, and, and, and so I just tell her, I said, listen, I said, listen, you can gladly root for whoever you want to root for. And there will be no spankings today. And I said to my son, Ethan, just because I'm in charge of you doesn't mean I'm in charge of everybody. But I love that kind of faith that little kids have where they just think that their parents can do anything. And, and, and we need to have that kind of faith in God. God that says you can do anything. And, and the thing about that is it's actually true right? It it was never true. Now my kids are older, they're very aware that I'm limited in what I can do, right? They're very aware of my limitations. But God, as we get older, He still doesn't have any limitations. He is the God of the impossible, and impossible has never stopped God from the possible. He's never stopped the possible God. God can literally do anything. And in this world that loves to focus on the negative, we need to be people of hope, agents of hope, because we serve The impossible God. Impossible never stops the possible God. We want to look today at an Old Testament story, one that maybe is familiar, but maybe not as familiar to you, um, where a king and a sorcerer are going to learn that very lesson. Turn to Numbers chapter 22. It's the third book in the Bible, so it's right at the beginning. Numbers chapter 22. In a moment, we're going to read seven verses together. Uh, I'll get there in a second while you turn. I'll let you turn there. In this passage, the Israelites are marching towards this land that God had promised to give them. All right, so in the beginning, uh, in Exodus, they are slaves in Egypt lots of them. The Israelites are numerous people, large group of people. And God promised to deliver them, to bring them out of that. And he said that they would have a a place of their own, a land of their own, where he would establish them as a nation and a a beacon for, for him and for his hope for the world. And so Israel has been coming through and marching through and conquering these different people groups because God had said that it would happen. And in chapter one, the, the chapter right before in Numbers, um, they, they defeat some pretty significant kings, uh, some pretty significant armies. And uh, King Sihon of the Amorites, King Og of Bashan, they defeated them. And so the Moabite land, which is now they're on that border of Moab. That king and that group of people, the Moabites, have seen what Israel has done and they are very, very concerned that they are now on their doorstep. And that's where we pick it up today. Because the reason they were so concerned was because Moab had land taken from those other kings in a prior war or conflict. And so it's like we do with our teams. If we look at a team and we say, well, they beat them and we lost to them now that probably means we're going to lose to these guys as well. They may, we kind of compare ourselves with our teams and, and that's what the king was doing here, King Balak and Moab. So we're going to pick it up there. If you turn to Numbers 22, if you haven't yet, stand up and let's read it together. We'll read the first seven uh, verses here from Numbers chapter 22. <clears throat> here we go. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam son of Beor, who was at Pethor near the Euphrates River in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. All right, have a seat. Thank you. I know there was a lot of names in there. I'm so sorry, made uh, to read that together. You did a great, great job. Take a peek at a map here to help you understand sort of the scenario, what's going on. So you got a map of Israel here, or of this part of uh, of the world at that time. And you can see that the part that's outlined in the blue is the territory that they had, Israel had defeated King Og and taken over. The part uh, that is outlined in the red is what Israel had taken from King Sihon. And so you can see the, the next part down is Moab. And so that's where the people of Israel are camped and Moab can see them kind of coming. You can sort of see what's happening as they're coming through and defeating these peoples along the way to again, take over this land that God had promised would be Israel's to inhabit and to live in. And so you can see why Balak is terrified and all of the people, the scriptures that we we read, they're all terrified of Israel. It seems like these former slaves who had never had any kind of military training, who who, who didn't have these great mighty warriors um, are destroying all these nations along the way. It's like they have a supernatural force Behind them. That's what they're noticing. Of course, they did, but that's what the people are sort of picking up on these other nations. They're noticing that these guys aren't losing. And so his idea is this, the king, King Balaam, goes to his, to his leadership, he goes to the elders and he pulls in Midian, the next group over, the next kind of uh, territory that's over, the next nation over, and he says, let's raise money together, let's go out and get Balaam to come and curse Israel for us. Balaam was a sorcerer, he was like a high-priced free agent, Let's pretend that there is a free agent quarterback who has won six Super Bowls in the past. Let's pretend that if you bring him to your team, all of a sudden the team that was terrible is now going to be in the Super Bowl. Let's pretend that that happens. And that's what Balaam, that's what Balak is trying to see happen. He wants Balaam to come and he says about him, Whoever you curse is cursed. Whoever you bless is blessed. He's like, this guy is the thing. He is, we're going to call him the goat. He, he, is, he is the greatest sorcerer of all time. And if we get him to come and put a curse on Israel, then maybe we will have a chance to win and to defeat them. That's what's going on here. Actually, this was something that happened Back then, where nations, because they were all spiritual, they would uh, uh, get um, a a sorcerer, a a diviner to come and put curses on the other uh, country. They all believed in the supernatural. However, they believed in different gods and believed they could manipulate gods to do what they wanted them to do. And that's the reputation that Balaam has. For the right price, he can be on your team. He's that high-priced free agent that is out there for you to get. And so he sends his entourage, Balak does, the king of Moab. He sends his entourage to go to get Balaam. And here, let's pick up the story in verse nine. God came to Balaam and he asked, who are these men with you? Of course, that's rhetorical, God knew. But he says, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people has come out of Egypt, covers the face of the land Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But uh, God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up, said to Balaam's officials, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Now pause for a moment and don't be fooled by the fact that Balaam, the sorcerer here, is, is, is talking about uh, God or is talking even to God that he is a godly prophet. Remember, his reputation was, he's the guy that you can pay. He's the diviner for hire. He's the guy, he's the ringer. He's the guy you can bring in. And if you pay him enough money, he will be on your team and will call on whatever gods he needs to, to defeat the other country or nation. He just happens to be uh, uh, going against the nation of Israel. So he's calling on God, the God, for this particular, uh, this particular conflict but just because he is speaking to God doesn't mean that he um, is godly. In fact, there are other scriptures where God comes and speaks to others who, who, are, who are pagan, who, who do not believe in God. Um, god comes and speaks to Nebuchadnezzar, the king, in Daniel chapter 4 and has a message for him at nighttime. Uh, god speaks to Pharaoh, the, the, the ruler of Egypt, who believed that he himself was a god. And, and God spoke to him in a dream in, in uh, Genesis chapter 41. So, so God will use whatever means he needs to use to accomplish his purpose. Balaam is trying to manipulate God, but as we're gonna see, God will have the last word. Balaam uh, gets this message from God. He's not allowed to curse them. God has already blessed the people of Israel. See, impossible never stops the possible God. Okay, even the high price free agent is not going to be able to stand in the way of God. That's what God's message is right here. Listen, you cannot say what I don't tell you to say. You can only say my words. Let's pick it up again in verse 15. So Balak sent other officials, more numerous, more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam again and they said, This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says Do not let anything keep you from coming to me. I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. Balaam answered, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. But spend the night here and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. So again, this group of people comes. Balak sends a second group. This group is more distinguished. In other words, these are even more famous people. This is people that maybe Balaam's gonna respect. They come with a bigger bribe, a larger reward. And and, and Balak uh, Balak is thinking, he for sure will come. This is kind of what he does. Balak says, or Balaam says, I can't unless I can only say what God gives me to say. Although inwardly he would have loved to curse Israel because that's what he is. He's, he's, a, he's a prophet looking for a prophet. He's not looking for what's right or wrong. He simply wants uh, to earn a paycheck and he would love to, to curse Israel to get this paycheck. And so he says, well, hang on. God told me I can't go with you, but just wait here one more night. Let me go back to God again. Maybe he'll let me go this time. He's hoping that he can go. He's hoping that he can get a curse in on Israel. This time God says, yes, you can go, but you must be careful to only say what I can, what I tell you to say. Well, Balaam must have had other plans. He must have had a plan to try to not listen to the Lord because look at what happens next. Verse 21. Balaam got up in the morning, he saddled his donkey and he went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went and the angel of the Lord stood in his road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey his two servants were with the, with the, uh, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field and Balaam beat it to get back on the road." So pause for another second. God has said that he can go, right? In the last verse. So why now is he angry with him for going? It must be because Balaam was not going to say what God had directed him to say. That Balaam was going to bring his own message. That he was going to somehow, again, try to say something to curse Israel. And so God is going, is going to oppose him here. The angel of the Lord is standing in his way with his sword drawn. God has revealed that to the donkey who avoids it. Balaam beats the donkey back on the path. This actually happens two more times where the donkey sees the angel and, and Balaam does not, and Balaam uh, gets his donkey to get back on the road. Finally, the donkey just lies down there and does not want to go any further. And then in verse 28, Not only does the angel, uh, not only does God give the donkey eyes to see the angel of the Lord, but now that the Lord gives a donkey the ability to speak, impossible never stops the possible God. Look at verse 28. The Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered, you have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. It's crazy that the donkey speaks, but that's what God can do. What's even crazier to you or I is that Balaam returns and starts talking back to the donkey. That's like when you speak to yourself, it's not a problem. But when you start answering yourself and you have a conversation, that's, that's when there's a trouble, right? He's speaking to a donkey and the donkey is making sense. And the donkey is actually trying to explain things to him. That's what God can do, though. God can use a donkey. God does not stop for what seems impossible to others. But keep in mind for a second, just to give some background, that Balaam, remember, he was a diviner. He was a sorcerer. And those who practice dark arts, magic arts, those who practice, you know, speaking with other evil spirits will often do so with animals. Animal sacrifices are a part of what they do. And so perhaps even Balaam had spoken to animals before who were filled with some sort of evil spirit. It's possible. And that's why maybe he doesn't react or respond to this donkey speaking to him verse 31, the story continues. The Lord opened Balaam's eyes and when he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn, he bowed low and he fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize that you were standing in the road to oppose me, but if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord then said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. And so God reiterates his word to Balaam, you may go, but listen, you can only speak what I tell you. He says, your path that you were on was a reckless one. In other words, you thought you could kind of get one on me. You thought that I was letting you go and that you were going to somehow speak a curse over Israel. Listen, your power is limited. Here's what God's saying to him. You may have defeated other nations. You may have been able to manipulate other gods, but I am the God and you will not manipulate me. You will not get around me. I can actually see what your motives are and I can use a donkey to stop you if I need to. The impossible never stops the possible God. Balaam realizes at this point he is kind of in over his head and he, for the moment, is willing to go along and say, you know, whatever God wants him to say. God can use a donkey for his purpose. God can use a wicked, a wicked pagan sorcerer as well. Balaam can only say what he is told to say. Well, for the sake of time, I want to summarize kind of what happens next. The king of Moab comes out to meet him and he says, why didn't you come the first time? Uh, But listen for that behind, we'll put that behind us. We want you to come, let's stand up on this mountaintop and I want you to curse the nation of Israel. Balaam says, I can only say what God reveals to me to say. I can, I kind of have learned my lesson. I, I, I can only do that. And uh, they takes him to a mountain where he can see the camps below, and Balaam uses his sorcery. Again, if you read, he offers animal sacrifices, uh, and he gets a word from the Lord, and, and he comes to deliver it. In chapter 23, he begins to speak his blessing over Israel instead of curse. And so King Balak's plan totally backfires. Not only, does, not only does Balaam not curse Israel, he actually speaks blessing and good things over them instead. And Balaam uh, is, is supposed to be this high price free agent who is supposed to lead them right to this victory. And let's just say maybe he throws four interceptions in the biggest game of the season. That would be okay. And, 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 and that's what's happening here right now in front of us. He's not not coming through the way that he was supposed to be coming through. He's not gonna earn this paycheck. He tries a second time then because uh, uh, Balak says, let's go to another mountain, try again. And then he says, all right, let's go to another mountain. He tries again. And each time, God puts a word of blessing in Balaam's mouth and he only can speak good things. It it just happens over and over again. And then Balaam closes his third speech with this. Look at chapter 24. And pick it up uh, just in verse five. Here's uh, what he says. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob. Your dwelling place is Israel Like valleys, they spread out like a garden beside a river. Like aloes planted by the Lord. Like cedars beside their waters. Waters will flow from their buckets. Their their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations. They break their bones in pieces. With their arrows, they pierce them. Like a lion, they crouch and they lie down. Like a lioness, who dares to? rouse them. Again, he is not speaking curses over Israel. God has put words of blessing in his mouth because God has already blessed Israel and God's will will be accomplished. But I love how he closes it. Look at that very next phrase, what God puts in Balaam's mouth. At the end of verse 9, he says, may those who bless you be blessed and may those who curse you be cursed. Those were the very words that the king had said about Balaam, that he had that kind of power, that he was sort of the, again, the the, the prize of the free agent class. He was the one who had all the power. And now God makes Balaam say those very words about his people, Israel. I love how God comes through and shows his power. The impossible never stops the possible God. These stories that we're going back through in this series of messages are meant to remind us that we should be like those young children who believe their parents can do anything. But again, the difference is that our God actually can. And he can come through on your behalf and on our world's behalf and on our church's behalf in 2021. God is in complete control of this world. Nothing happens without his sovereign uh, will and we are always without hope but we are to also be agents of that hope to people around us. Those who carry hope into the room when we come into the room. Let me share just four thoughts with us today to kind of, uh, from, from uh, from this story here. Four things that I think this story teaches us. Two of them are warnings, are meant to be warnings and to cause you and I to think. And two of them are meant to be encouragements. Here's the first, the first two are warnings. Number one, Religious talk doesn't always equal a Jesus walk. And here's what I mean by that. As you read this passage the first time, you might be tempted to think that Balaam was somehow a prophet of God because he used God words. He used church talk. He talked about going to consult with the Lord. But not everybody who uses those kinds of words is really a servant of Jesus Christ right? Religious talk doesn't necessarily mean a Jesus walk. We know that about Balaam. Uh, We don't know it as we read this, but but God knew that. And so we actually can see that uh, when we find another reference about Balaam in the Bible. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Keep your finger in numbers because we're going to come back there. But turn to Revelation chapter 2, the the very last book in the Bible, in the very, very back of your Bible, chapter 2 verse 14. Jesus is talking to a church here in this book, but in the midst of his, his speech to the church, he references Balaam and Balak. And it gives us a little insight into who Balaam really was, what his motives were. In verse 14 Revelation, Jesus says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. He's talking to that church there. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of who? Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. So they ate so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. In other words, there must have been some, another time later after this where Balaam is also happy to earn his large reward, his large fee um, for bringing down Israel. And he teaches Balak and Moab how to do it. Balak believed Israel's God could be defeated just like he had defeated other nations and their gods. So just like Balaam, who was a false prophet, but appeared to be a godly prophet, you and I must be careful of who we let influence us. You and I must be careful of where we get our information We must make sure that those that we are giving influence in our lives to are only sharing truth from God's word and the whole counsel of God, not just bits and pieces or parts of the Bible, but all of it. And so we must check, we must check what we hear from someone else against God's word. We must check those books that we read, the counsel that we receive, the TV programs that we watch, the radio t- teachers and the podcasts that we listen to. We must check that their lives are, have integrity and that their words have sound doctrine. We must. Religious talk doesn't necessarily mean a Jesus walk. Be careful of who you let influence you. Be careful of where you get your information. Make sure the source is credible. I think that is one warning from this passage. That's number one. We read in Revelation that Balaam taught Balak later how to defeat the Israelites to be sneaky, to, to look like you're offering something enticing. Basically, what he said is, listen, this, this strategy that you have of direct combat is going to lose because God is with them, all right? God is more powerful, but if you uh, become their friends and you kind of sneak in your uh, lies, your false gods, your false doctrine, that actually will work. And if you turn to Numbers chapter 25, the very next chapter in the story, that's exactly what happens. In chapter 25 in Numbers, verse 1, we'll just read a few verses. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. So the people ate the sacrificial meal and they bowed down before these gods So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal, that's a God of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. God had protected Israel from all of these other armies, from attacking them from the outside, but their own choices, their own choices are what brought them down. And the same is true for us. Here's my second warning for us, for myself, for you. Our poor choices often have natural consequences. That's a warning. I think that's from the story. Yes, God forgives. And yes, there is grace to be had. And we, if we are true believers in Jesus Christ, may look forward to eternal life one day. But those things do not form a blanket shield of protection around us from our own sinful choices. And our choices have natural consequences that may come into our lives. I have learned this in my life over and over. Perhaps you have as well. Be careful. Our poor choices have consequences. One of my favorite golfers uh, was a man named Payne Stewart. He uh, won the 1999 US Open, I'll never forget. He was battling with Phil Mickelson and it was just a great finish. I was watching it live and uh, just a fantastic finish. Later that year, 1999, Payne Stewart got on a plane. He was flying to a tournament in Dallas, and after the small charter plane took off, the pilot's lost consciousness, air traffic controllers attempted to contact the plane when it failed to make its necessary turn towards Dallas, but there was no answer to traffic control to air traffic control. So two Air Force jets were scrambled to investigate the runaway plane only to discover that there was no one at the controls of the jet. The windows of the cockpit were fogged and that suggested that the plane had depressurized at 45,000 feet, which probably killed everybody on board. The only thing that was keeping this plane aloft was the autopilot system. One of the Air Force pilots said later, it's a helpless feeling to pull alongside another aircraft and realize the people inside are unconscious or in some other way incapacitated. And there is nothing that you can physically do about it from your aircraft to help them, even though you're only 50 to 100 feet away. Finally, one of the engines ran out of fuel and the plane crashed to the ground. I imagine that God often feels like that Air Force pilot where he sees the direction that our lives are heading, where he sees the consequences of the choices that we're making, where he has a larger view and knows what the eventual, our eventual lives will look like if we continue down the paths when our lives crash. We must be careful. Are you on that plane ride right now where you are trampling on the grace of God, acting as if he'll just forgive you not realizing there are consequences for your choices and living out those consequences, turn around and repent before you crash. I think that's what happened to Israel in this story. They thought they were, had a complete immunity. They thought they were untouchable because God's blessing was on them, but they were surprised to find out that they could be defeated if they turn their backs on God. Those are my two warnings. Here are two encouragements. Number three, nothing will stop the sovereign plan of God. I think you got to understand that when you read this story, I think that has to scream out to us that nothing will stop the sovereign plan of God. If God could use a donkey, and a false prophet to bring about his purposes. And listen, God can use whoever in our world to bring about his purposes as well. And so we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be concerned about the events of our day, about the chaos that's in our world today, because we, we serve God and he is sovereign over even those who are making decisions on behalf of us, of our nation, of our world, of our community. Those things cannot stop the sovereign plan of God. He's in control. Nothing will stop the sovereign plan of God. Nothing will stop his ultimate plan. So we can have courage and, and do not fear and we can live in love for others. See, God had promised the land to Israel. When he blessed them, he, he had promised that they would have it. And so they had to conquer those, those different nations. It, it, it wasn't something that could be changed. God had made sure that that would be the case. Um, King Balak believed he could change the plan, but he was mistaken. Listen to those words straight to Balak from Balaam's mouth in his second speech. Flip to chapter 23 and verse 18. Listen to what Balak, he gets this message right from God. Then he spoke this message. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor." God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfilled? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. No misfortune is seen in Jacob, no misery observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of the king is among them. See, God is not like you or I. You and I are not sovereign, but God is. And He's not like humans in several ways. God describes Himself here He says, I'm not human. Number one, He says, I don't lie. In other words, He must think that we do, that we're not trustworthy. He says, I don't change my mind. He knows the right answer from the beginning. Sometimes we change our minds. Sometimes it's for a good reason we realize we were wrong, we change our minds. God doesn't even have to do that. He was right from the very beginning. He knew what was right. So he doesn't change his mind. He can be counted on. When he says something or promises something, the third thing is he always follows through on every word he says. I wish I lived like that, but I don't. But God does. So nothing will stop the sovereign plan of God. He had already blessed Israel. He could not take it back. They had to defeat those kings. It could not be changed. He had promised that would be their land. And the text shows us very clearly that God can and will use all things to accomplish his plan. And he will use anything and anyone to, to, uh, to get his um, plan to be accomplished. God sometimes uses people to accomplish his plan willingly and sometimes he uses people unwillingly. Sometimes he uses people knowingly and sometimes he uses people unknowingly, unknowingly, but God's plan will be accomplished. So do not fear. Do not worry. Do not be panicked about the times that we find ourselves in. Our trust is in God alone. And it's not in any other outside agency. Uh, God, uh, uh, this outside government could not stop uh, the nation of Israel from from, uh, taking that land. And God will allow his plan to be accomplished in our lives as well. A quick word of instruction to keep in mind. I wanna pause from this, this, this story for a second just to give a brief word of instruction. Sometimes when we're reading the scriptures, We need to separate what God has promised to certain people from what he's promised to us. Sometimes God promises things in the Bible to the nation of Israel or to another group of people, and that may not necessarily mean it's a promise for you and me today. And so when you are reading the scripture, it's important you understand the context, understand who he's talking to and what that promise means. Sometimes you say, yes, this is a promise for all people of God. And so this does apply maybe to me today. But sometimes there are very specific promises in the scriptures that apply to the people God was specifically talking to. And to understand God's word, you need to understand that. And that is so important because sometimes you might be tempted to take a promise that God has promised to another person, apply it to yourself, like God's promise of land to the people of Israel. God's not promised you and me a certain amount of land. And sometimes we want to manipulate God. We want to manipulate God's promises to mean that he must do the things that we ask him to do because he said it. And we pull out a verse out of context and we'll say, that's for me as well. And so be careful when you are reading God's word to know if he's speaking directly uh, to a certain group of people or to all of us as believers or specifically to us uh, believers in the church um, today. But here's the good news. There are plenty of promises for you today. And you can trust God and uh, that he will come through in his sovereign plan. I just don't want you to, to, to not believe that when, that, 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 that means when I say that God is completely sovereign, and his plan will be enacted, that it somehow means that his plan is for you to always be happy or to give you everything you want, to always say yes to you. And then you turn and you kind of walk away from God because he doesn't come through and you think he kept his, he didn't keep his promise. Well, maybe that wasn't the promise that he gave to you or to me. We we need to understand that. See, God's definition of good in our lives may be different than our definition of good in our lives. This past week, I was tucking our youngest, Emery, into bed. She's seven years old, and she loves to stay up as late as her brothers and sisters. She has three teenage siblings. And she doesn't understand why she can't stay up as late as they do, right? Uh, she, doesn't, she doesn't know in her mind that her body is smaller and that it needs extra rest to be able to grow healthy and strong, she doesn't care about that. She doesn't, she doesn't care that, uh, that she needs more rest, that she's more pleasant the next day for her teacher, for her classmates, for her parents. You know, she doesn't care about those things. What she cares about is that right now in that moment, she wants to stay awake. She wants that. She thinks that's better for her. And so finally, this past, I think it was Tuesday night, the same conversation I have every night with her, multiple times, honey, go back into your room. Daddy said, no, you can't stay awake later. We had this conversation. Finally, I said to her one uh, Tuesday night, I said, honey, sometimes no is a good answer. You need to go to bed. And I sat down and I was reading, I was trying to read this book. Um, I was sitting there on the couch and reading this book and, and, I, and I wasn't really reading. I was reading like the same sentence over and over again because I was thinking, And I was thinking about some things in my life that I had been asking God for 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 a long time. Things that I was wanting to come true. Things that I was frankly frustrated about and had a bad attitude about. And I heard God very clearly say to me, John, sometimes no is a good answer from me as well. And he's right. Sometimes God's answer to you or to me is no. No. And it's because he is sovereign and he has a greater picture, a larger picture than you or I do. We have one small sort of narrow view of the world and we see things how we wanna see them and we know, we think we know the answer, but it might not be the right answer. Sometimes no is a good answer from God. And that doesn't mean that he's not sovereign. It doesn't mean that he's not in complete control. He just might know better than you do and he might just say no. No. And I know that's hard because we want God to come through in everything that we want for our lives. But that's where we trust Him and we trust that He knows better. And our faith is in Him, not in Him saying yes to us. And that leads me to a final thought, though, for today. Take this encouragement God alone controls my destiny. God alone controls my destiny if you and I simply just follow after Jesus and live for him, we will be okay. We will be okay. There was no outside government that would stop God's plan from being accomplished on Israel's behalf. And there is no outside force in our lives that will stop God's plan from being accomplished in our lives. Not, not a disease not a doctor's report, not an economy turn, uh, uh, not a uh, not a not a government force. Uh, there is no one that can stop God's plan from being accomplished in your life, or will stop God's will from being accomplished. Listen, God alone controls your destiny. So let's not give other people control of our peace. Let's not give other people control of of, of our of our faith that we hear what someone else says and, and all of a sudden now we are worried and we are panicked and, and we don't know what's going to happen. No, listen, God does know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't need to because God does. You have a God who loves you and wants the absolute best for you. God alone controls your destiny we need to think how God, about God, how those little kids think about their parents, that he can do anything on your behalf, that he can do what's impossible, that he can turn things around and he can make even difficult circumstances give you amazing out of this world hope. Impossible never stops the possible God. Listen, I don't know if his answer is yes or no for you in your life right now, but I know that his answer will be best and I know that it will be good. I don't know what your future is or my future is, but I do know the one who holds your future and my future and he is trustworthy and he is sovereign and he is ready again to do what is said to be impossible. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the hope that you offer us in Jesus. Thank you that uh, your answer is always the right answer thank you that we can live with hope. God, give us, give us a warning, Lord. If there's, if there's sin in our life, if there's uh, uh, areas in our life that need to be addressed, would you show us those, God? We don't want to be going like that plane headed towards a crash. God, we don't want to, to walk away from your blessing, your protection in our lives because of our own sinful choices. God, I pray that uh, you would get us on your path. Fill us with hope. I pray that we would be a people of hope in 2021 where we see you do impossible things, not for our credit, but for your glory. And so Lord, we turn our lives again today over to you. Our identity is in you. We are who you say we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.